So, yes, we are going to be... Am I going to be standing in front of the mic here? What gets this right in front of that? There we go. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about disastrous tonight. Hopefully not manifesting, but we will be talking about it. Hit me with a why if you've ever figured out why things go wrong in your life. <laughs> if not, I will tell you. Hit me with a why if you've figured out why things go wrong in your life. And I will tell you when I figured out why things go wrong in my life. And then we will talk about Alec the Irish Rage Fest. Baldwin. Yes, you've all figured it out. No, yes and no. Oh, I didn't even say my hellos, but hello to all the locals. Hello to everyone. Is, having, is it having bad people in your life? No, not exactly. Not exactly. Okay, so I'm going to be telling you why you have bad things happen in your life. I cannot get, oh, I know why. It's drifting. The camera is drifting. The camera is drifting. All right. I'm being deplatformed by my own camera. Let me just go down here. Okay. So uh, let me do a lemon distribution here just so we can. Let's throw out 5,000 lemons. Get ready. Get having bad values. Eh, that's too generic. That's too generic. And I will tell you sort of my history and how I figured out why quote, accidents happen. There are genuine accidents, for sure, but but in general, they're not accidents at all. They're the result of a whole series of bad decisions. So uh, it sounds like hubris to be able to say why things go wrong. <laughs> so anyone who tries to understand something is just being vain, even if it really works for them and goes magnificently. Uh, vanity. You know, just applying negative moral judgments to people trying to figure out life is really boring and frankly kind of stupid. You know, it's like all the losers who call anybody with confidence arrogant. It's hubris to try and figure out why your life goes wrong and fix it. It's like, no, that's not hubris. That's just, I mean, do you, do you, if, you, if you lean on a hot stove and you burn your elbow, do you just sit there as well? It's hubris to pull myself away and try and figure out how not to get on a hot stove. This is hubris, man. This is hubris. All right. So I will tell you what I learned about mistakes. So... Hit me with a why. Hit me with a why if you've ever been in a situation where you simply cannot afford to make a mistake. Have you been in a situation? Have you been in life in a situation, and not for just a moment, but for quite a while, where you simply cannot afford to make a mistake? Could be skydiving, could be rock climbing, could be any of these things. And let me know, let me know what it was. Yeah, a lot of you guys, right? And this is one of the reasons why you're into rational empirical philosophy, because your life has been on the line based upon the accuracy of your judgment, so nobody can tell you that your judgment is inaccurate because you've actually kept yourself alive through the accuracy of your uh, judgment, right? Uh, empirical evaluation of empirical universal material reality. Structural engineering, yeah, okay. Fisticuffs, oh, fighting, yeah, all right. But that's sort of a moment, and that's probably a result. So, Marine Infantry, well, that'll do it. Piloting aircraft, absolutely, that will do it for sure. You cannot afford to make a mistake. Driving, well, yeah, driving is one of the things that, you know, I'm, my daughter likes to sort of flick me from time to time, and, and uh, I just have to keep reminding her, like, we don't do that stuff when we're driving. You're an electrician, yeah, climbing a tree, scuba diving, <laughs> managing a software project, no. Sorry, I've done that, no. Um, so, 
when I worked up north, I will tell you how I got there. I drove for two and a half days straight to a town called Nikina, which is basically near where the highway ended back then. And then we took a plane flight for another hour, hour and a half to get to Lake Dumas where we were doing our prospecting. <laughs> I remember, okay, so northern pilots, God love you, you're all mental. Like pilots who fly in the north, at least back then, were all completely mental. So we flew out there in the middle of the winter and I was the last guy to fly in because they, they, we had so much equipment. You couldn't take everyone and the equipment. They were pretty two-seater planes. And I'm sitting up at the front and the guy, the pilot, Come touches down on the frozen lake, right? The pilot touches down on the frozen lake. And to me, you know, it was kind of close to the trees, you know, like the tree ahead, right? It was kind of close to the trees. And I was like, I don't know, 18 or whatever it was at this point in my life. He touches down, and you know, you got this instinctive sense of physics where it's like, mm, based upon our momentum, based upon the acceleration, based upon how it feels, this doesn't feel particularly good. And um, so I should laugh, but anyway, so he touches down basically in the middle, right? So if this is the length of the lake, he touched down where my nose is, right? Now, I would say, you know, touch down so you've got a lot of room, right? You can always idle going forward uh, and, and do it that way. And so he touched down middle of the lake, and we're skidding along the top of the lake. He can't get the thing to settle down so that the skis are going to bite and begin to slow it down and all of that. And I hate to be that guy, you know, I don't want to tell the pilot how to do his job, but I remember turning to him and saying, I think, I think you landed too late. <laughs> I think we're, we're too close to the middle, man. <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, yeah, I think you're right. And then he gunned it. And, you know, we went roaring up, you know, barely clearing the trees with the skis. And <laughs> it's sort of, you know, heart pounding through my chest and, um, I wonder what happens when he doesn't have a passenger who tells him this kind of basic stuff. Did he forget his glasses? I'll never know. But it did seem kind of odd. So when we worked up there, of course, if you got injured, right? So we would regularly hike five miles away in, in deep snow, right? Snow, snowshoes and all of that. And the indigenous people had been hired. They'd created some paths for us, so that kind of helped. And we are carrying heavy equipment I got. 80 pounds of rods sometimes on my back. And I remember going through bramble bushes that were half in the snow in my snowshoes carrying these Pionja drills on my back. And that was brutal, man, because every time you'd step forward, you'd sink into the snow. The tips of your snowshoes would go under the bramble bushes. You'd try and take a step forward. The back of your snowshoe would whip you in the ass, and then you'd go face planting into the snow with 80 pounds of drill bits on the back of your head. And I remember thinking, I don't think I'm ever going to complain. I remember thinking very clearly, I don't think I'm ever going to complain about an office job ever, ever in my life. So, sorry, grab my coffee and it's a little warm on the bottom. So, if you, if you made a mistake up there, if you cut yourself badly, if you broke a bone, if, you, would, you could be five miles away in deep snow from the tent, so you'd have to get back to the tent somehow, and then at the tent you'd have to radio for help. And depending on the weather, depending on availability, it might be up to 24 hours before they came to get you. And then they would fly you where? I mean, to some place that you could drive to get to a hospital. You could be two or three days away from a hospital. You could not screw up. You could not. And, and this is where you learn 
respect for reality, you learn respect for your senses, and you think things through. And I spent cumulative about a year and a half in this environment, summer and winter. Now, that particular environment where we were the furthest out, that was the worst as far as continual sort of Damocles danger that was going on. And everybody had their stories. Oh, yeah, one guy, you know, I was working with one guy. Uh, he, his, uh, his name ended up rhyming, unfortunately, with Deadwood, and he was kind of useless. And he didn't bring his water, and he thought it was just a great idea to drink from, like, caribou tracks. And, of course, he got sick, and they had to fly him out, and it was just like, okay, look, if you don't want to work here, for them, just say you want, want to go back to town. Don't drink this stuff, and then... Like, I remember, I knew a guy... Uh, we did karaoke. Oh, he was in the sort of karaoke crowd that I used to go and sing with years ago. And he was diabetic, and he was, I guess, sick of his job on a cruise ship as a blackjack dealer. And so he ate half a chocolate cake, and they had to helivac him out of there. And uh, that will basically do it. That will basically do it. So if you've been in a situation where it's life or death, then you learn respect and you learn to be really, really careful. Now, I'll tell you when I sort of figured, so that, that's when I sort of figured out caution and preparation and check everything three times and don't take any unnecessary risks. And I was a year and a half in the bush um, off and on and no injuries, not one. And sometimes we would have to carry, you know, 60 pound bags of earth over like a giant game of pickup sticks over these tree trunks if there had been a clear cut recently we'd have to climb over the slippery tree trunks with all and and you just you're super careful you, and you just you you, you re respect the senses respect the senses and you, you can't manipulate your way you can't talk your way out of it. you can't charm your way out of it like this is you and brute physics that's it man and and, and that gives you a real respect for empiricism and when i come across people who just you know Reality is subjective, and truth is what you want, and, you know, emotions rule. It's like, go to the fucking woods for a bit. You know, just go to the woods and clean that garbage out of your brain. It just means you're a city person, and you've talked your way through life, and you've never actually, you know, bumped up against brute, empirical, factual reality. And that's where we evolved. We didn't evolve in these brainscapes of language. We evolved in sort of brute material reality. And it's good for us, man. <laughs> it's good for us. These city folk. Oh, my God. Absolutely horrendous. So, yes, sometimes there are accidents, but they're pretty rare in life. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you a situation where I had an accident. So I was living with the wrong woman. We call her Sue. I was living with the wrong woman. This is the woman I almost married. And... We would, it was one of these relationships, kind of annoying, because sometimes we'd get along really well, but I, as I sort of figured out later, <laughs> we only got along well when I did not stand up for myself, right? As long as I was willing to submerge my identity into what she wanted, hey, I got rewarded with the kibbles of, I love you. But then if I did do something that went against the grain as far as what she wanted, then it was just like, I will provide negative stimuli to you until you change and get back in line and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so we went uh, to a store and we bought some blinds, right? When you bought some blinds. And you know those days where with your, I don't have this with my wife, never had this with my wife, 20 years, never had this with my wife, but had this with girlfriends at the time. You're just kind of not getting along and you're just annoyed with each other. 
it's nothing particularly specific. You're just looking at the person and saying, I'm not even sure I like you that much. I'm not sure I respect you that much. I'm not sure that this is elevating me to the Everest heights of love, devotion, and happiness that it should. I don't know, man. You know that, that whiff of mortality where you're like, I'm just treading water in a mediocre relationship and time's ticking along and I'm going to die. going to die. So maybe I should sort this out. <laughs> but no. The photocopy of the everyday that COVID came along and kicked on its ass was just, you know, oh, I got a, I got a list of things to do today. I can't change my life. I can't look at the big picture. I can't sort things out from a global scale. I got to do my laundry. <laughs> I got things to do, man. Can't fix my life. I got a list. The list is not life. The list is death in this case. Sorry about Julius. So anyway, we go to get these blinds and we were just kind of crapping at each other. Just crapping at each other. These aren't the right kind of blinds. Did you measure it correctly? Did you use the right tape? Did you read the sign? Uh, you just, eh, is this the right one? I don't want to go to another store. You know, just one of these days where you're just deep down, you're just not getting along, and you have doubts about the relationship, and it comes out about measurements and blinds. And is, does this color go with the color that's there? We're not going to paint it. You've said you're going to paint it for a long time. You never get around to painting it. It's never going to happen. This color doesn't go, but it's the only one that fits, and I don't want these kinds of blinds, and these are too expensive. <laughs> Bickerton slow pecking death on the testicular jugular ball sack of masculinity. So, and we were biking. So just weren't getting along. And so I was biking back and I had the blinds hanging in a bag from my handlebars. Hit me with a Y if you know what happened. Just, uh, you know, hit me with a Y if you've ever been in this kind of situation. Because I remember, I used to bike everywhere, of course. I used to bike an hour to get to work. And I remember being poor, dirt poor, in my when I was getting my graduate degree. And I was biking back with, you know, seven big bags of groceries hanging from my handlebars. And I was biking past where they were doing Phantom of the Opera in downtown Toronto. And all these people in ties. And then it started to rain. And I was just going along, like, trying not to crash this bike with, like, 40 pounds of groceries on each handlebar. Just thinking, like, got to be a better way. Got to be a better way. So what happened was, yeah, you got it. Blinds caught in the wheels. So Sue, my girlfriend, said to me, not her real name, Sue said to me, They're going to go into your spokes. Just find another way to carry it. <laughs> Why didn't I have a car? Because I was broke. <laughs> yes, I was broke. As I was until my 30s. So I grew up broke. Didn't have a car. You don't need a car when you live downtown and you work down. Well, I lived downtown. I um, went to university downtown. I had a. I mean, downtown, cars, complete waste of time for the most part, right? So when she said in this snappy way, the, the, the blinds are going to go into your spokes. Just find another way to carry them, for God's sakes. Be an idiot, right? Now, of course she was right. Could I admit that she was right and change it? No. I wished to bike home 
to prove to her, this is how ridiculous, this is my 20, I was in my 20s, right? I wished to bike home and prove to her that I did not need to lift the Venetian blinds. I could have them hanging from my handlebars. Of course, the inevitable happened, and I had to swerve to avoid, they, they had these grates, you know, if you've got narrow 10-speed wheels, they go into the subway, they go into the sewage grates, and you can, right, so I had to swerve, when I swerved back, they went into my spokes, and I flipped over my handlebars, I landed, and I fractured, oh gosh, which one was it, um, I really should remember this, uh, which one doesn't quite go straight, yeah, I fractured this arm, there we go, <laughs> it doesn't go straight, and I just, it just, it just, I cracked, I cracked my bone, right? And I made it home. And to her credit, she didn't say I told you so. She was concerned. And I got home. You ever have this? I've never broken a bone. This was the only real injury I've ever had, just like a crack uh, on the bone. And you get home and you got the adrenaline maybe of the pain or, you know, get out of the situation or whatever. And then you get this thing from your body like, yeah, this is going to be bad. You didn't sprain, you didn't just pull it a little, you didn't bang it, it ain't bruised. You cracked your skeleton. You didn't listen. Now I'm going to make you pay. I'm going to crank up the pain to the point where you will be crying through your ears and bleeding from your eyes. And the pain, you know, just began to swell. And it was like if you've ever had tooth pain, it's like that kind of thing where it's like, oh my God, I can completely see why people get addicted to painkillers. This is horrible, <laughs> right? So anyway, I went, no big deal. I went to get an x-rayed and I didn't even need a sling. I didn't need a cast. I just had to put it in a sling for a while and it healed fine and all of that. Now, was that an accident? No, it wasn't an accident at all. It came out of hostility, vanity, aggression, immaturity. In other words, I could survive... I could survive a year and a half in the frozen wilderness, but I couldn't survive one bike trip with a bitch. <laughs> but I was being a jerk. I was being immature. I was being ridiculous. And I was putting petty, stupid, false ego above basic self-protection. Vanity is the enemy of security. Vanity is I'm right regardless of evidence, and evidence will attempt to overthrow vanity with truth and facts. So, I would say, hit me with a story. And if you do have a short story, but, but that's sort of an example. But was that an accident? It was not an accident. It was an entirely predictable series of events that started with not cleaning up the relationship or getting things sorted out before I left to go to get the Venetian blinds. Somebody says, I fell on a wet floor sign at work and tore three to four of my ligaments in my knee and a muscle. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry. To, right? Now, was there no sign? Were you in too much of a hurry? If you look back and try and figure out the dominoes that occur in order for you to get injured, in order for you to get hurt, you've got to figure out the dominoes that go down. And then, and then, most of the disasters in your life can be avoided. The disastrous of the final whiplash of the tiny decisions at the beginning of things. 
We were unable to sort out the problems in our relationship. Or rather, I was not willing to spend the rest of my life kowtowing to somebody else's kind of bullying. And so the relationship didn't work out. Now, this relationship, so we were trying to nest. We were trying to build a little place, right? We had a little apartment together. It was the main floor of a house, but not a big house. So we, we, we were trying to nest. We were, try, we were trying to build a life, but without any foundation. And so we couldn't even choose blinds together, but we were supposed to choose to live together, to have a life together. It couldn't make any sense, right? I think one of these will do. I, I have a couple of others, but I think you sort of get the general principle. But if, if you look back really harshly, you know, like just no vanity, no ego, just looking for safety at all costs, you, you look back over your life and you say, this bad thing happened. I'm telling you, nine times out of 10, if not more, you can look back and you can say, here's a whole series of decisions that I made that ended up with me being in this mess. Now, when the mess happens, when, when you fall, this was kind of inescapable for me, and it wasn't actually that long after this the relationship ended because it was just, it's kind of, you ever been in one of those relationships where you just, you just feel like a loser and you just feel depressed to be there? Like, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? This is, this is bad. This is not good. This is not where I'm supposed to be. This is not elevating me. This is not inspiring me. This is just hanging out, having sex, and crabbing at each other. Like, this is gross. This is not right. And it wasn't right for her, of course. I'm not sort of saying it was all on her at all, right? So, and, and you can see this when I talk to people about their relationships, right? Oh, it didn't work out. Okay, well, what was the sign at the beginning that it wasn't going to work out? Yeah, there were signs at the beginning that this wasn't going to work out, and I spent years in it. And I just want to sort of throw that back down the tunnel of time to you younger folk to say, look, when something bad happens to you, look at everything that led up to it and see what you could have chosen differently. And if you can do that, you can stay pretty damn safe in this world. When I worked as a real estate agent, I remember it says, Lucy, one couple started shouting at each other for holding the tape measure wrong, measuring the rooms. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I dislocated my kneecap because I was pushing something without my legs properly planted. Yeah. But I bet you it goes even further back than that, right? Why were you pushing something instead of using a forklift or, or one of those little, I don't know what you call them, the two wheels that you slide under and then you lift them up at a 45-degree angle? I don't know what the hell they're called. So... Uh, you got to look at, at the dominoes. Your life is a whole series of dominoes. The big dramatic one at the end is the, the mess. But if you look at all the ones that lead up, you can keep yourself safe. So with that in mind, with that in mind, I'm going to get the philosophical stuff out of here, right? So with that in mind, let's look at what's been going on with Mr. Baldwin. And this, so I did a show. It's funny, I was just talking about this with my daughter, and she said, we should do a show together. I hadn't, she hadn't thought of doing a show with her, but we decided to do a show, to, or she suggested, and I thought it was a good idea to do a show together about the Alec Baldwin thing. It's really fascinating, and, and 
not just fascinating because it's like celebrity stuff. And look, let's be honest, celebrity stuff is fascinating because they're kind of like icons or secular saints in most people's lives. So this just came out from the Daily Mail tonight. Production crew walked off Alec Baldwin movie set hours before shooting in row over conditions and were replaced on the fly by locals. See what I'm saying about dominoes? Workers feared for gun safety after two misfires days before Baldwin accidentally shot dead cinematographer. You know, it's almost like God is sending you warnings and you didn't listen. The production crew on the set of Rust, that's the movie, right, walked out on Thursday morning in a row over hotel rooms and long hours. They had wanted to be put up in Santa Fe, near the ranch where the movie was being shot, but instead were staying in Albuquerque an hour away and were too tired to drive every night after long shifts. Y'all ever been on a, uh, y'all ever been on a movie set? Y'all, uh, oh, free, uh, sorry, it's uh, freedomain.locals.com. Freedomain.locals.com. So, that's really important. If you've ever been on a movie set, they're endless. So, a guy I was friends with as a teenager and uh, chatted with him for a while uh, up until my sort of early 30s, he had a job as a uh, boom operator, right? So, he held the, micro held the microphone and eventually he had to quit because he had no life because you're like 18 hours sometimes on the set and his, his entire shoulder and back he destroyed the cartilage. He was just wrecked from holding these heavy. You got to hold them solid. You got to follow the actor and all that. And it's just you're basically a human crane, right? You're like a drone with uh, with a spinal cord, or at least what's left of a spinal cord. And I would imagine that this has now wrecked his life. You know, as far as especially when he gets older, right? When you get into when you're younger, there's this middle aged stuff where you're fine, and then when you get older, you're just destroyed, right? And a friend of mine was a pretty good uh, volleyball player when he was younger, and then when he got old. Uh, he had to have his knees replaced because he just just destroyed them, right? So and it's like the football thing, right? So sometimes. So if you are an, an hour away, right? So let's say you got a 16-hour work week, which is not uncommon at all to on a movie set. And then you got to drive away. You got to come back and, and you're just too tired, right? So on Thursday... When they arrived to pack up, right? So the production crew, I assume they were unionized. I assume they were professional. I assume they knew what they were doing. And they just revolted and said, no, we're not doing it. Now, that's interesting, right? That's interesting because that's not just the working conditions. That's not, I guarantee you, that is not just the working conditions. I have a, uh, I have a little uh, experience with leadership um, in philosophy to some degree, but of course I had 30 employees that I'd hired and led and managed and all of that. So a little, I have some experience with leadership. And if you're going to ask people to make enormous sacrifices, there's two things you have to do. If you're going to ask people to make enormous sacrifices, you have to give them an important reason for doing that, and it can't just be money. There has to be an important reason for them doing it, number one. And number two, you have to do it yourself. If you're a leader and you want people to go the extra mile, you want them to, to pull extra hours, you want them, right, you have to give them a meaningful reason why and you have to do it yourself. Now, if you're willing to do that, you can ask people for extraordinary things and they will often oblige. But if you're not doing it yourself or you can't give them a meaningful reason, 
And of course, the opposite of a meaningful reason is if people think that they have to stick around because the leadership is incompetent. And now if, they, if people say, well I, well, I have to work all weekend because you guys are incompetent, then they just won't want to do it. So something happened with Alec Baldwin, who is a producer on this movie. Therefore, he is the ultimate leader on the movie, right? He's the, he's the movie star. He's the main actor. He's the producer, which means he's big hot show. He's the big cheese. He's the Arthur Carlson, right? And so if you get a rebellion of your employees, it's because you're a terrible, terrible boss. Right, so so there was something where the, the the employees came and said, "We're not happy. We don't like this." And Alec Baldwin, I'm almost certain of it. Or I can't prove it yet. We'll find out over time. Alec Baldwin basically told them, "Get lost. I don't care." Now they wanted to be put up in Santa Fe. <laughs> when I lived with Sue, we had a little magnet on the fridge, which was a woman all in like. Navajo gear is like another victim of Santa Fe style. I don't know why I remembered that, but I did. So they wanted to be put up in Santa Fe, but they were staying in Albuquerque. Why? I would assume it was to save a couple of bucks. Huh. Wanted to save a couple of bucks. Now, uh, let's look up. Let's look up. Alec Baldwin, net worth. Let's see what he's got. I know this stuff is mostly nonsense. Uh, $60 million. So if you are going to ask your crew to drive a couple of extra hours after working them 16 hours straight or whatever they work them, if you're going to ask your crew that they have to drive a lot so you can save a couple of bucks and you're worth $60 million... Um, I think it's fair to say that they're not going to be overly motivated uh, to do this, right? They're just not going to be overly motivated. It can be like, you know, this asshole's worth $60 million and we've got to drive a couple of hours after he works his half to death because he doesn't want to spend another 50 bucks a night on our hotel rooms. You've got to be kidding me. You've never heard of Alec Baldwin? I guess he's a bit of a generational thing. Uh, I stopped watching him after um, he verbally destroyed, tried to verbally destroy his daughter. Um, Beetlejuice, Hunt for Red October, uh, The Marrying Man, um, he was on 30 Rock, and um, yeah, he's, I guess, half-rusted. He's in half-de-rust, right? Alex Baldwin, Alec Baldwin doesn't have 60 million because he spent all his money on refugees, right? right. So he's a leftist, right? Alec Baldwin, heavy Democrat. So here's what's completely screwed up about this. Do you guys want, hit me with a why, if you're okay with the cursing, if you'd want less cursing, I will let you guide my, I will let you guide my tongue, she said in a saucy manner. Was he on Nuts Landing? Oh my God, that's going back. That's going back. Well, he had this famous turn in Glengarry, Glen Ross. Do you care about the swearing? Yeah, he did these terrible impressions. You're not bothered personally? It's not really a kid's show, obviously. More swearing, please. Darn you. <laughs> I'm a sailor by nature. Okay, cursing. All right. So, so as a leftist, you see, Alec Baldwin is very concerned with the plight of the working class and them being exploited, you see. So because he's a leftist, you would assume that he would first and foremost recognize his own privilege 
his wealth, his talent, his reasonably good looks, his Italian carpet-bombed chest hair, the whole thing. Uh, Irish, I think. So he, as a leftist, you, you, know, you know that he would be taking super good care of his people. Turns out, no. He's a complete exploitive capitalist stereotype, one monocled Mr. Burns-style asshole who, to save a couple of bucks, I assume, forces his workers to drive for a couple of hours after working them half to death. He's a clusterfuck of an exploiter, and it's kind of typical. See, leftists believe that everyone is like them, and they're horrible. And so you've got to have a big, powerful government because, well, you've got, people want to exploit others. Well, how do you know that? Well, I love exploiting people, and people are like me, so i got to, oh, right? It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Because he's all about, you know, the refugees and the workers and, and take care of people and treat them well and blah, blah, blah. Until he faces an entire worker rebellion because he's such a piece of shit employer that they, they literally will stop working for him. Now, you understand, if you stop working in a movie, you got to be serious about that shit because it's a pretty small industry. Lots of reputation, lots... Like, if you stop working halfway through a movie, it can cost people millions of dollars, they can get really pissed off, and you better have a goddamn good reason to stop working in the middle of a movie. I'm leaving. Dad joke 101. So, keep them, keep them guessing. So... This leftist, yeah, Norm MacDonald had a great take on why Alec Baldwin's Trump impersonation was so bad. Yeah, so Norm MacDonald said you can't imitate people unless you have some affection for them. And, you know, Trump never had a worker rebellion as far as I can tell. Yeah, void of contract will cost you. Yes, you absolutely have to, especially in movies, you have to have a damn good reason in order to leave the set and not lose your entire career. So it had to be like unbelievably god-awful working conditions. And so, you know, this working-class hero guy, what's he doing? What's he doing? What's he doing? Oh, thank you, philosopher, for gifting five subscriptions. I appreciate that. It's very kind. So that's your fabled working-class hero, right? So let's, let's get on with what happened, right? So on Thursday, when they arrived to pack up, they found a team of local workers waiting to replace them. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, I was talking about this with my daughter the other day, right? So, look, I, I have no problem with people going on strike. I think it's a perfectly fine thing to do, and it gives you a lot of collective bargaining power. What I am not okay with, what I'm not okay with, is when you can't hire replacement workers, because then they basically have your entire business hostage, and they're going to destroy everything, Right? So this hero of the working class leftist Democrat, when faced with a worker rebellion, replaced them with cheaper local work <laughs> workers. And you know, the funny thing is, he's probably really keen on the minimum wage. And then he just, oh, you're not happy with I work you 16 hours, and then force you to drive two hours because I'm too cheap to spring for a more expensive hotel room if that's what happened. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to hire some people for less and, uh, you know, good luck getting home, right? This is your leftist. So, Halnya, Halnya, I don't know how to pronounce that. Stop being Ukrainian. Halnya Hutchins decided to stay on the set and film with Alec Baldwin and the film producer, Joel Souza. 
She had been advocating on behalf of her team for better working conditions. Well, that'll teach you. That'll teach you to advocate for better working conditions and decide to stick around. I mean, talk about your poetic justice, right? I mean, this guy is such a shitty boss, Alec Baldwin, such a shitty, cheap, exploitive boss that people just leave. And they're probably like really angry, frustrated and upset that they left. Except now it's great because they won't be dragged into court for the endless lawsuits that could come out of this stuff, right? So, yeah. See what I mean? Dominoes, man. This stuff does not come out of nowhere. Does not come out of nowhere. So at 1.50 p.m. yesterday, as you know, Baldwin fired a prop gun with what he thought contained blank rounds. Funny how you fire all your people, replace them with locals who obviously weren't particularly competent as far as I can tell. Did he fire the weapons person? The armorer, as they're called? I don't know. I don't know. Some surprise we haven't found her name. Seems kind of relevant. So he's such a shitty, cheap boss, such an exploitive asshole, that he drives the entire crew away. He obviously points a gun at someone, pulls the trigger, shoots people, and then immediately screams, who gave me the hot gun? Well, I don't know, Alec. Maybe it's one of your new employees that you had to replace the competent employees with because you were such a shitty, cheap director. And producer. Oh, producer. Sorry, he's not director. So the projectile pierced through Hutchins and also struck the movie's director who survived. Hutchins, uh, and you know what? Her husband's a lawyer. Never shoot anyone. Never shoot anyone. Except in an extremity of self-defense. Particularly don't shoot people with lawyers for husbands. So Hutchins was airlifted to the hospital, pronounced dead. I think that the bullet went through her abdomen. There are now claims there were two other incidents earlier in the film's shooting. Deadline cites an unnamed source who says a gun fired while someone was holding it in a cabin. Union rules stipulate that no live rounds are ever to be used on a film set. The replacement crew are not believed to be union members. No live rounds are ever to be used on a film set. The replacement crew, who, who bought the live rounds? If it was a live round, right? I don't know if that's been confirmed or not yet. So the crew of Alec Baldwin's movie set were already concerned about gun safety before he accidentally shot and killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins. And they had walked off the set hours before she was killed after they complained about long hours, shoddy conditions, and two other incidents involving the misfire of weapons. And the funny thing is, and the tragic, horrible thing is, of course, that the movie is entirely about the injustice that results from the killing of someone. The workers have been complaining they had to stay overnight at Albuquerque, go spell it, and not Santa Fe, because production wouldn't pay for their hotels. I told you, according to sources cited by Los Angeles Times, blah, blah, blah. When they turned up to, to set to clear their things on Thursday, they found they'd been replaced by locals. Oh, boy, what a hero of the working class. It's so good that you railed against Trump and called him such a bad person, you cluster fracking carpet chest bombing Irish son of a bastard hell bitch. Jesus, this stuff pisses me off. It really does. Like, if you're just going to be, I don't know, a total Mr. Burns devotee of exploitive capitalism, okay, then people know what they're getting into. But you're all this social justice fuzzy warrior for the working class bullshit artist. Christ. 
It begs the question, says the article, of who those local workers were, what their training was, and to what extent did they check the weapon before handing it to Baldwin, suspected to have possibly been loaded with a live round. Yeah. Deadline also cites an unnamed source who said a gun had gone off in a cabin while someone was holding it in a cabin. Okay, that's not the best writing in the world. They said the gun, a gun had two misfires in a closed cabin. They just fired loud pops. The person was just holding it in the hands, and it went off. Well, that's probably not true. <laughs> that's probably not true. Um, let me know if you can. Let me know. What have you ever just like, you know, I, I grew up with this penny wise pound foolish stuff. Like, okay, maybe he saved a couple of grand, maybe tens of thousands of dollars by, in a sense, forcing his workers to drive two hours. Right? He, he saved a couple of bucks. Guys worth 60 million US, 70, 80 million Canadian, whatever that works out to be. Guys worth 60 million US. He could easily afford to pay these people to have local hotel rooms. And oh, I remember when I was doing, it's just a tiny example, right? It's rough. So when I was out there in, uh, when I was back there in seminary school, no, when I was out there in Australia in 2018 doing the speaking tour with Lauren Southern, the first night we had great crowds, great audience, great energy, not too many, not too much violence. And anyway, we were all pumped. We, I stayed late uh, signing autographs, selling books, chatting with people. And I was sitting next to uh, my, I would sign the Art of the Argument or, or UPB or Everyday Anarchy or whatever, people have bought, and then my daughter would sign next to me, and she was obviously, I don't know what she's like, well, two years ago, she was like 10 or 11, right? And it was like so cute. It was a fantastic experience. Anyway, so, and then we went out for drinks and I chatted with everyone all night. So we finally get back to the hotel at like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, and then the organizer said, oh, by the way, you have to get up at 7 to catch the next flight. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? I can't, I can't, I can't go give a speech on a couple of hours sleep. Why didn't you tell me ahead of time? Anyway, blah, blah. So it's, and this is, you know, it's tough. If, if you got to work, concentrated work, and you're not getting enough sleep, and if you're putting long hours in a movie set and have a two-hour fucking commute, you are not getting enough sleep in order to be safe. Pennywise, pound foolish. Oh, look, I saved a couple of thousand bucks by forcing my workers to, uh, to drive and, and uh, right? So, yeah, the movie is about an accidental murder. Well, accidental is not murder, but I know what you mean. So, yeah, how, 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 how sensible was it to save a couple of grand, Alec? Good idea. How sensible was it to save a couple of grand? You're surprised he's only worth 60 million? Do you not know how the family courts work? He had like a half a decade long divorce. He wrote a whole book about it. Uh, about his divorce from Kim Bassinger, basically saying it's like being dragged along a dirt road tied to the back of a truck. It stops when the truck driver wants you to stop. That's about it. So, yeah, you have to, uh, right? He saved some money, man. Saved some money. I remember, do you ever read, hit me with a Y if you ever read Mad Magazine, you know, Alfred E. Newman and so on. Hit me with a Y if you've ever read that. So there was a cartoon in it, I remember, about a, um, a woman says, oh, look, there's a dime on the ground to her husband. Oh, you pick up the dime. Get the dime. Don't waste money. And the next thing you know, he's in traction in the hospital 
They said, wow, you've really put your back out. He says, no, don't worry about it. Because my wife has a dime she can use as a down payment on all this surgery. <laughs> right? It's penny wise, pound foolish. You ever have this? Save a little bit of money. Save a little bit of money. And then you end up. Oh, his new wife is from Massachusetts and made everyone think she was Spanish. <laughs> She's actually a better actor than he is in a way. So, yeah, it's just terrible, right? It begs the question says the article, of who those local workers were, what their training was, and to what extent did they check the weapon before handing it to Baldwin, who's suspected to have possibly been loaded with a live round. So, it's, oh, this is some tweets. I'm literally on the show in New Mexico with him, and the producers on that movie are treating the local crew like fucking dog shit. Fucking A, says someone else. Absolute dog shit. At the moment, I'm fighting to get my crew on this movie, hotel rooms where when we go long or are too tired to drive the hour back from a location to Albuquerque. They either say no or offer a garbage roadside motel that's used as a homeless shelter. In fact, the line producer on the flick complained the motel she booked charges her 10 bucks more per night than the homeless. They haven't even paid the crew a proper check. Something uh, my B second... Had to sleep in his fucking car on Sunday night because they wouldn't, won't give him a room and he was too tired to drive the hour home. Nobody on any production should have to sleep in the cold in their car at base camp to not die driving home. Call your BA reporter. Do not accept this, but you have to call. Already have called my BA and he's fully involved. The show keeps arguing they don't have to do anything because some contract minimums don't force them to. In fact, the low-budget agreement... In fact, in the low-budget agreement, a hotel doesn't need to be provided until 14 worked hours. And this show is doing lunch, hour-long lunches, so it requires a 15-hour elapsed day before they will volunteer a hotel. My BA tried to get them to agree to 13 hours elapsed, and they agreed to 13 hours work, so here's where my crew's at with this show and the union's involvement. 12.5-hour days worked with an hour lunch, two hours of driving a day, leaving exactly eight hours of time not at work. Most folks on my show are getting five hours of sleep a night. Yeah, that's what you want. Horses, guns, cranes, and five hours of sleep. Excellent. One text message that was circulating on social media shared repeatedly by union members refers to a walkout by staff the day before the tragedy. The text message claims that this woman, Helena, was one of the few people who decided to stay. She belonged to IATSE Local 600 and been campaigning for better conditions for her team when she was killed. Because it's not just about Alec Baldwin, right? Obviously, right? It's not just about Alec Baldwin. So, this tragedy started because, according to this guy and according to my perspective... Alec Baldwin abused, exploited, underpaid his workers, forced them to sleep in the cold in their car. And that's one of the main reasons why this woman ended up dying. Right? A lot of tension on the set, a lot of anger on the set, a lot of frustration, a lot of anxiety. People leaving. They're coming back to get their stuff. You're just yanking in local people for whatever, right? So you understand, this would be like Mother Courage. This would be a Bertolt Brecht story, right? This would be 
dominoes of exploitive asshole bosses lead to death of promising genius worker woman. She's supposed to be very good at cinematography. So this leftist who just thought Trump, you see, was the worst person ever, ended up killing someone because Domino's fell as a result of him exploiting his workers, being a complete asshole boss and producer. With $10 extra. Well, got your 10 bucks now. You can hand it over to lawyers. <sighs> One person who was involved with the production posted on social media their crew had been sleeping in their cars, blah, blah, blah. We sort of mentioned all that. The movie does not have a large budget like other production, and one experienced prop master who was offered the job turned it down because it wasn't paying enough for her to take the job. The movie does not have a large budget. That's just a false statement. I mean, that's somebody who's never been an entrepreneur. <laughs> My movie does not have a large budget. <laughs> it's just me, the giant thumb in the blue background. What do you mean the movie does not have a large budget? So I'll tell you why the movie doesn't have a large budget, for those of you who aren't in the entrepreneurial world or haven't really gone down this road. So the reason the movie doesn't have a large budget is because Alec Baldwin is a greedy fuck. That's why. Because the more people who invest in your movie, the more ownership of the movie you have to give up. Obviously, right? If somebody invests a million dollars and gets 25% of your movie, they invest $2 million, they get 50% of your movie or however it's going to roll, right? So Alec Baldwin can get funding for a movie. And he can kick in his own money if he wants. But he was greedy to keep ownership of the movie because he's playing dual role, right? He's producer and, and actor. So he didn't want people to invest in his movie. I can't read the guy's mind. This is just the logic of the economics. I don't know what he decided, but this is the way that it would look from a sort of economic self-interest standpoint. So Alec Baldwin wanted to keep more of the money and profits for himself, so he got very little investment and tried to do it on a shoestring budget because he's greedy as hell. He's greedy as hell. Something my acting teacher said to me once. You're not acting. You're just being honestly yourself. <laughs> Look at him in every movie. He plays a smarmy, smug, self-satisfied asshole, right? So he wanted to underpay, right? What, what are the leftists, and the, they, what do they hate? They hate the fact that the capitalists keep more money for themselves and pay the workers less. Well, that's what's this. He kept more ownership, therefore profits for himself down the road if it works out well, and he underpaid his workers. So it's not just about Alec Baldwin, it's about all the people who claim to be leftists who aren't like, oh my God, this guy's a terrible boss who got someone killed in part because he's a greedy, cheap mother person and wouldn't pay his people and had to, you know, come on. This is like a leftist fantasy of evil that you've got a guy worth $60 million dollars who's making his worker sleep in a fucking car in the bone-chilling New Mexico cold. Because they're too cheap to spring for a decent hotel. You've got a guy getting his cozy eight hours of sleep. Got to look fresh for the camera. Kind of baggy eyes. Got to look alert for the camera. You see, I got to get my eight hours of beauty sleep. But you can sleep in your car in the fucking cold, maybe get five hours. And the left is all defending this guy. 
Why? Because leftism isn't about love of the poor. It isn't about hatred of the rich. It's about power. And this guy helped give them power by attacking Trump relentlessly. So he gets a pass. They don't care about the workers. They don't care about the exploitation. They don't care about the underpaying. They don't care about the terrible work conditions. They don't care about the greed. And they don't care about the death. They don't care about the homicide at all. Because this guy gave them the fucking keys to the kingdom, got Biden in by banging on Trump for three years straight, four years straight, really. And so they're like, yeah, go kill people, man. <laughs> totally fine with us. Go exploit your workers, man. Have at it. Enjoy. You shaggy-haired, shovel-faced, Irish, black-hearted rogue bastard. Go for it, man. Exploit all the fuck you want. Shoot people. We don't care. You got us into political power, man. Have at it. Enjoy your exploitation. They don't give a shit about exploitation of the workers. They just use that to gain political power. But hey, I'm not doing politics anymore, so what can I say? So, let's see here. What else? But yeah, it's boring stuff about live rounds and blanks and blah, blah, blah. In the days before the tragedy, IATSE, the union, had been threatening a large-scale strike that would have crippled Hollywood production. Among the complaints were overworking staff and poor rates. Yeah, movie, movie industries full of communists, full of leftists, full of Democrats, full of socialists, and they exploit the living shit out of their workers. They exploit the living shit. Out. You can't have a life if you're a movie maker, which is why it's kind of sad that this mom, she had like two kids, I think, this this cinematographer, director of photography, whatever the hell she was. She's like two kids, and she's spending all her time shooting sand and beards in a New Mexico set. It's very sad. Among the complaints were overworking staff and poor rates. Baldwin recorded a video of himself encouraging the union members to strike if they felt they needed to, saying studio bosses don't give a fuck about you that the union shared online. <laughs> this is how mad actors can be, or just people as a whole, right? Studio bosses don't give a fuck about you, he growls at the camera in his Batman voice, right? So he's a studio boss in this particular situation, doesn't give a fuck about the workers. But he can actually say that. Other people don't give a fuck about you. Now go sleep in your car because I want to spend 10 extra bucks for your hotel room. Special effects artist said there's a direct correlation between maintaining a safe set and the hours that we work. At a certain time, there's no such thing as a safe set if we're all exhausted. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whatever situation you're in where you need to be alert, if you're tired, you're fucked. You're just fucked. And that's why on the rare occasions I didn't sleep well, I simply would not work with heavy machinery. Like I just wouldn't do it. You just you lose your reaction times. You lose your concentration. It is a very bad idea. Whatever happened in the moments leading up to her death this special effects guy said, was caused by a cascade of failures by multiple people. Absolutely. He said, we have a hard and fast rule that no live ammunition ever goes into a prop truck or set at any time. We just don't do it. If you see bullets on set, they're completely dummy rounds. They're in no way functional. This goes back to Brandon Lee. That's protocol. There should nev never have been live rounds on a movie set. That's number one. Number two is every single person on a movie set has a right to inspect a weapon before it's fired. And number three is there is no reason to ever 
put a person in front of a weapon that's firing, right? So you know that movies are shot with usually a single camera, right? Over the shoulder, over the shoulder. You never have to point the camera at the person. Now, again, I talked about this with my daughter today. If you're pointing a camera straight at the lens in a victim shot, then the camera operator is supposed to be behind plexiglass just in case and blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing, right? So if you're shooting at a camera lens, clearly you have to be far enough away that your squib or the, the, the dummy bullet is not going to do any harm to the camera lens because some of those cameras run $100,000 plus or more. Sorry, or plus or more like that. It's not redundant, right? That's a double negative. That's a double positive leads to a negative. I should drop this topic right now. That's it. I'm leaving again. I'm not sleeping in my car. Not since Bitcoin's up anyway. So um, anytime you see a movie where the barrel is pointed down the camera lens, there should not be an operator behind it. It's obvious that the considerations of this resulted in that gun being pointed directly at two people. We would have additionally had a barrier between them. A large number of people fail to do our protocols. Every accident is a cascade of events. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying here. One Santa Fe prop master told Daily Mail that had the gun been checked properly before it was handed to Baldwin, the tragedy wouldn't have occurred. See, that's not how I see it. And, and don't listen to me. <laughs> I'm not a prop guy. But I'm a maximum responsibility kind of guy, right? This is why I say, look at all the things that lead up to the masses in your life. I'm a maximum responsibility kind of guy. Which is, oh, I don't know, if I'm going to point a gun at someone and shoot it, and I've just replaced the entire fucking crew with unknown locals who aren't professionals or maybe unionized or whatever the hell's going on, just some dozy does from down the road, I've just replaced everyone, so maybe, just maybe, I should check the gun myself. Just a thought. I'm sorry to be maximum minimum volume guy. I guess you could normalize this. Anyway, that's just my thought. If you just fired everyone and you got a whole bunch of new people just shown up that day, everyone's upset and angry and tense and confused and trying to get up to speed, maybe check the gun yourself before you point it at someone and shoot it. That's responsibility. So this idea that, oh, who handed me a hot gun? Why did you shoot a hot gun? You're the producer. It's your job to make sure you don't end up with a hot gun. How long does it take? Open the gun. Check the cartridges. Check the bullets. Check what's, check what's in there. How long does it take? I mean, Alec Baldwin seems to have basically shot a gun in every single movie <laughs> that he's ever been in. He knows how this stuff works. So why wouldn't you check it yourself? Of course you should check it yourself because you're the final person pulling the trigger. So the fact that he shot people and then immediately blamed someone else, blamed other people, people new to the set, people who had just replaced all the workers he was exploiting and shitting on from his 60 fucking million dollar throne of gold. No, you check that shit yourself. I mean, take a silly example. I was handed a computer to go and do a presentation. And I said to the guy who handed it to me, is this thing sat up and ready to go? Because I've got a really tight schedule. I was like, yes, it is set up and ready to go. I, I formatted it. I installed the program. I checked it. It boots. It's fine. It's good. I even checked the connection of the VGA cable to the external projector. You're good to go, man. 100%. So what did I do? <laughs> well, before I did the presentation, 
the night before I was going to do the presentation, I booted up the computer and I checked. And he had formatted the computer. He had installed the program which I had written, which I was going to demonstrate. But he had not installed any printer drivers whatsoever. So when I went to preview the reports and all of that kind of stuff, I got a massive error. So I had to install printer drivers. In this case, just a PDF driver was fine. But you check shit yourself. This guy, he just, he, he booted it up. He played around with the program. He just didn't check the, the print, right? So you, you check everything. Of course you do. You check everything yourself. Of course you check everything yourself. <sighs> Especially but it involves guns. <laughs> this was just a software package. My God. He checked about as much as investors in Theranos, for God's sakes. He said, if they'd done their job checking the weapon, this wouldn't have happened. You show the assistant director of the weapon. You show the act of the weapon. You show everybody it's a safe weapon. There's a big chain of command that missed an opportunity to save a life. Yeah. Baldwin tweeted that he'd spoken with the victim's husband, who's fully cooperating with law enforcement. He said, there are no words to convey my shock and sadness regarding the tragic accident that took the life of Helena Hutchins, a wife, mother, and a deeply admired colleague of ours. I'm fully cooperating with the police investigation to address how this tragedy occurred, and I'm in touch with her husband, offering my support to him and his family. My heart is broken for her husband, their son. I guess she only had one kid. And for all who knew and loved Helena. So... What it does do, of course... Oh, yeah, he also tweeted a picture of himself looking all kinds of haggardy and said that he was exhausted. So, yeah, that's not good. Hitchens' grieving husband Matthew told Daily Mail on Friday morning he'd spoken with the actor. I have spoken with Alec Baldwin. He's being very supportive. Baldwin was heard asking people around him why he'd been handed a hot gun. In all my years, I've never been handed a hot gun, he was heard saying. Yeah, did you been on many movie sets where the entire crew is replaced? And uh, he'd been, a, this is the actor Jensen Ackles, I mentioned this in the show with my daughter. He'd been able to choose his own gun. She's like, yeah, go shoot at the hill. It'd be fine. The production employed 73 New Mexican crew, 22 New Mexican principal actors, 20, 230 New Mexico background talent. According to the Prop Masters Union email, the props, set decorations, special effects, and construction departments were staffed by New Mexico crew members, none of whom belonged to the union. Big leftist, right? Big leftist loves unions, loves the working man, may want to make sure that people have the right to organize. He's probably against right to work and stuff like that. He got to be part of a union, 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 union. Wait, oh, it's my movie? Oh, fuck the unions, man. I'm going to hire people off the street. Or whatever. He probably did hire people off the street, but you know what I mean, right? Will Baldwin face charges? Legal experts tell DailyMail.com massive civil suit is a virtual certainty. Yeah. But say any criminal prosecution would likely focus on whoever loaded the gun. Now, it's a question of moral responsibility is on the guy who pulls the trigger. In my humble opinion, the moral responsibility is on the guy who pulls the trigger. Especially when you're the producer and you know, you know for an absolute fact that you've just disrupted the entire workflow and replaced all of your workers 
and now you're handling a gun. Plus, since you should never be pointing a gun at anyone and pulling the trigger, it's still on you. Look, it seems impossible to imagine that Alec Baldwin did not have a gun pointed at someone and pull the trigger. For sure, it's not helpful that there was a live round in there if that's what happened, but he was the guy who did that, which is against all protocol. If you did not follow your own rules, are you negligent? Is it negligent homicide or manslaughter? Don't know. A spokesperson for Baldwin said a prop gun with blanks misfired. Okay, so if this is the case... If the prop gun with blanks misfired, then it went off without him pulling the trigger? That you could design a gun that is supposed to be used in a movie, or anywhere for that matter, that goes off on its own? That's pretty wild. Key facts in the case have not yet been publicly confirmed, including who loaded the prop weapon, what kind of cartridges it was loaded with, and how and why a projectile was expelled. If Baldwin, this is um, an attorney, if Baldwin or another person was negligent, a civil suit is almost a no-brainer at this point, a very high likelihood. It is not likely that it was Baldwin's job to prepare props. There are other parties associated with putting those things in motion. Well, here's the thing, though. Again, I'm no lawyer, but it would seem to me from a sort of philosophical justice standpoint, if you're the guy who fired everyone, hired new people, knowing that the, all the turmoil was occurring, and then decided to point a gun at someone and pull the trigger, assuming it didn't just randomly go off, which would be weird. And then, of course, if it randomly went off, I don't even know who. I mean, maybe, okay, if it randomly went off, yeah, okay, but you're still the guy who hired, who fired everyone, brought new people in, and didn't check the gun yourself. He says, um, as the facts thus far have been presented, Baldwin will not be charged with an intentional act of violence. Well, but there's a whole area of law which is unintentional acts of violence, right? Which is you don't mean to hurt someone, but you act with such re reckless disregard for safety that they end up hurt. You're still, aren't you still responsible? I'm not a lawyer, but I think that's, uh, I think that's how it works. He said, however, it's not unheard of to be charged with significant negligence. There are a lot more facts that need to be developed, but studios take... Extensive cautions in light of Randall's death in 1993. This was the actor killed by a squib load on the set of The Crow. Los Angeles personal injury attorney Miguel Castudio, Castudio said that as the facts that are known stand, quote, liability certainly points to Rust Movie Productions and the prop manager. Any lawsuit is likely to name Baldwin, however, due to his role as a producer of the movie as well as the actor. Now, maybe he'll change genders like Caitlyn Jenner in order to get out of legal issues. I don't know. If, I'm not saying he did. Just interesting coincidence. A charge of murder is unlikely because it requires the intent to kill. Yeah, of course. I, don't, I wouldn't agree with that for sure. A manslaughter charge, says fe former federal prosecutor Niami Ramani, says a manslaughter charge might be more likely because it does not require intent to kill, but does require criminal negligence or gross negligence. In this case, there are reports that the prop gun was loaded with live rounds. If that is true, that is grossly negligent, and whoever loaded the gun is going to be responsible. Baldwin, if he had no knowledge whatsoever that the gun was loaded with a live round instead of a blank, wouldn't have any criminal liability. 
Now, I guess that's where it goes to civil. To me, again, in a justice situation, if you've created the uh, situation, at least that you don't check the gun yourself, and you go against best practices by pointing the gun at someone and pulling the trigger, which you're never supposed to do, isn't that negligent? Again, I'm not a lawyer, but it would seem to me. Uh, Romani said that if a, live, if a live round were loaded by mistake, it's likely to be a case of simple negligence, which would not bring criminal liability. There is a rare circumstance where there can be criminal charges without any knowledge that the round was live. That's when there's deliberate indifference or willful ignorance. It's very hard to prove, which is why these types of prosecutions are rare. It comes down to what was in the gun, who put it in, and what did he or she know when they put the round in there. If it was a blank, even blanks can be dangerous when discharged at close distances, that can be grossly negligent. So, uh, anyway, this uh, goes on and on, but um, yeah, they're going to pivot to the sadness. And this woman survived communism, but couldn't survive working with, uh, with this guy. Oh, wow, 8.20 already. All right. Give me one split second. Um, I forgot to wear my slippers. My feet are really cold. <laughs> We're stopping production for the moment. Go, go sleep in your car. Or you know youth is really flourishing in your life when you say, I'm old and my feet are cold. All right, let's see here. Oh, his brother is a conservative who hates Alec, is that right? Yeah, it's a lot of genetics in these kinds of things. Yeah, so blanks, as far as I know, blanks don't fire anything up, but they have a lot of gas that explodes along two holes in the top. And uh, that can do some damage. But, of course, nobody shoots a gun by holding it to their, up against their nose, right? Uh, Alec Baldwin trusted the experts. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, right? Didn't he shoot it twice? I don't think he did. I think what happened was the bullet went uh, through the woman's abdomen and then ended up in the shoulder or clavicle, I think, of the other guy. I don't know how that happened. Maybe he was kind of crouching behind her or something like that. So... Yeah, of course, someone who's been on movie sets had to deal with guns from, in movies for decades. So you learn the basics of firearm safety. Yeah, for sure. Well, here's the thing, too. Like, especially when you've just fired everyone or everyone's just quit on you and you've had to hire a bunch, whole bunch of new people, you would double and triple check everything, wouldn't you? So That's why pilots have pre-flight checklists, because sometimes the mechanics miss things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It all comes down to you. Did he ever use a gun on any of his role, in any of his roles? Oh, yeah, he's had guns a lot of times, right? Entire gun sh gunfights. I think there's one in, in um, doesn't he have a whole gunfight in The Hunt for Red October? Hunt for Red October. That Trump joke about shooting someone on Fifth Avenue is worse than Alec Baldwin actually shooting someone according to leftists. Yeah, but see, the leftists are just, they're defending him and paying him back for giving them the keys to power, right? So That's almost unheard of, a gun just misfiring by accident. I have my suspicions about that, that you would ever make a gun I mean, you wouldn't, but the gun would ever end up in a position, right? Because he had an armory expert on set, and the armory expert would check the gun, and they're mechanical devices, right? Software is a different matter, but it's a mechanical device. And the idea that a gun would just go off, misfire, I don't know. That just seems very strange to me. Accidental discharges do happen. More often, it's a negligent discharge, but they do happen. Well, I will take your expertise on that. 
So, yeah, it couldn't be murder. No, he didn't. Uh, he didn't intend to kill, of course, right? But that's to me. That's where negligence comes in, right? Did you create unsafe working conditions and fail to check in a situation when you knew that the risk was much higher? Did you fail to check that what you were doing was safe? And did you not follow established protocols? As in, you never point a gun at someone, even if you think it's just got a blank in it or whatever. You never point a gun at someone and pull the trigger. Like, you never do that. I mean, unless you're trying to really hurt them, right, or kill them. And so, to me, that's, that's the big question. Is, were there rules established? Which is, you don't point the gun at someone and pull the trigger. If you did that, and, and you don't do that because of just this kind of thing, if you did that against all rules, against all advice, against all standards, against all safety protocols, that as the producer you would have established yourself. If you go against your own rules endangering someone, how are you not negligent? Again, I'm always uh, curious to hear how the law plays things out, but we shall see. Steph is the goat. Change my mind. Now, I won't. Steph, would you ever make a movie? You know I've made four, right? I made a short film back in the day called After, and it was about a comedian coming back from the Second World War and the torture he goes through with his memories until he makes his first joke again. And then I've made three documentaries, freedomain.com forward slash documentaries. Plus, I was in Hoaxed, which you should uh, check out. I was also in Thrive 2, which you should check out, so... Someone I know said she feels bad for the trauma Alec is going through. Well, that's because she's been programmed to have sympathy and sadness for this tragedy and accident, blah, blah, blah. Right? So. I thought Misfire is Failure to Fire. No, Misfire is John Deacon's first song on the Queen's Sheer Heart Attack album. I'm so sad that I know that, but I do. The book almost would be a great movie. Can't agree with you there. It's too, it's too mammoth and massive in scale. It would be an incredible miniseries, but you'd need 12 to 14 hours at least to do the story justice. Uh, Steph, whites in California still voted Democrat. Are these people retarded? Uh, just, just programmed. Just, just programmed. All right. Um, I already did a show today, and I'm going through resurrecting. Oh, by the way, by the way, freedomain.locals.com, if you find yourself shy on material from me. For donors there, I've just published like 20 or 30 shows, which I have rescued from the, the, <laughs> the history of the show. Really good stuff that has gone out there. And just in case, you can sign up for five bucks if you want, uh, and you get access to all of these great shows. Yeah, it would be a great. Oh, go shave, Steph. Thanks for the vid. Yeah, sorry about that. I uh, was really quite busy today and didn't get around. And here's the thing, too. Like, when you get a little bit of a beard, it then becomes quite a production to, to shave it off. So, a misfire is when the gun doesn't go off. You pull the trigger and the round doesn't go off. Is that a misfire? Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, yeah, it would be a great miniseries. Freedomain.com forward slash almost or almostnovel.com. You should check it out. Don't forget to check out my NFTs. I've still got some cooking away. You can go to freedomainnft.com, freedomainnft.com. Really fantastic collectibles uh, from philosophy. Okay, well, this is called a negligent discharge. Hey, but enough about my teenage years. Go sleep in your car, Steph, and make us more videos. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, eh? All right, well, listen, guys, thanks so much for your chat tonight. Great questions, great comments. As always, my glorious mutual bonobo monkey tribe of 
excellent philosophy. Have yourself a um, wonderful evening, and I will see you soon. And uh, lots of love from up here. Take care, stay safe, and if you can't stay safe, run from Alec Bolton.